defensive problems of recent years largely sorted. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the end of the season for Orlando City, and welcome to the Orlando Soccer Show end of season podcast. My name is Austin David, joined by Gavin Eubank and Mike Gramajo, and we are here to wrap up what was a very unexpected Orlando City 2020 season as it came to a close this past weekend with a 3-1 loss to the New England Revolution in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And New England moved on, and they will play Columbus in the Eastern Conference finals. And uh, we're still waiting on the Western Conference semifinals, which will be played later this week. Anyways, let's talk about Orlando City, as that is uh, why we're here. Uh, a 3-1 loss, and in many ways, much like 2020, not the way that we expected the game to go. And and in very much, in very often of this year, when do we ever expect something to go the way we expect it to? Um, first off, guys, how are you doing? And um, talk to me. What, what did you make of the game? Um, first of all, I just realized that you wanted to talk about Orlando City. You said that's why we're here. Because when you said the season finale, I thought you meant the Mandalorian that I just caught up on last night. But You're so behind, Gavin. I'm only five episodes behind at this point. I got plenty of time. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's we're two full days. We're recording this after the game has ended, and um, I feel better. Well, better than I did the other day. So there's that. Mike? Yeah, no, it's uh, kind of. It feels like two days ago because obviously that was that three-one loss to New England on Sunday, and we're recording this on Tuesday. But it feels like, wow, I can't believe it. it's been a long two days since that uh, season-ending yeah. loss. But obviously, you, you kind of look back, and it, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like bittersweet, sweet because I mean, this season was I think Orlando City Oscar Pereja exceeded expectations. The bitter part, I guess, is how it ended and the way it ended. I guess people had expectations after those original expectations were exceeded. So, um, but you know, obviously, there's a lot to to digest, a lot to flush, like Oscar Pereja said in his post game presser, and hopefully, us three are going to kind of flush what kind of went down the, um, this previous Sunday and in how um, this season in general was a was a positive as well for Orlando because there's definitely a lot to uh, to build off on and um obviously there's some news earlier today with Antonio Carlos which we'll we'll dive into so um yeah is this yeah, we're we're here we're we're going to talk some Orlando City and uh um and kind of just flush everything out <laughs> in, in a way flush everything out and uh flush the season down the toilet maybe but uh, no I, I, in all honesty it was it was a tremendous season for Orlando City uh one that we never expected uh the players if you ask them if they expected of course they would say yes because they believed in themselves uh and Oscar Pereja in his opening statement after the game he said I think the boys have done a tremendous job during the season just putting the club and the team where where we are in in the stage we are close to advance being recognized during the year, having the opportunity to compete all year and be protagonist as we ask them all the time. And, and, and that's been the key word throughout the entire season, being the protagonist. And I give tremendous credit to Oscar Pereja. We talked about it last week or two weeks ago where we thought that Oscar should have been 
the coach of the year, uh, but was beat out by Jim Curtin, who lost in the first round to New England, uh, who ended up being a lot better than people probably thought they were. But Oscar always stuck to his guns. He said, we're going to be the protagonists of the game. We're going to impose ourselves onto our opponents. We are not going to adjust to them. We are going to make them adjust to us. And every single game, it seemed like that. No matter what Orlando did, the other team was having to adjust to them. Maybe a little bit less so in in the most recent game, but still there were there were moments you know where New England had to kind of play back and, and let Orlando play their game, and then try and adjust the way they played uh, in order to counteract that. So again, huge credit to what Oscar Breja and his his staff have done this season. No matter how the season ended, nothing will take it away from them. The fact that they have turned this club into a perennial playoff contender. And uh, it remains to be seen who stays, who goes. But uh, I think the foundation has been set for the next couple of years to be uh, to be protagonists in the league. Yeah, I mean, it really kind of feels like this is the first offseason where obviously the year ended on a disappointing result. But we are now looking ahead not as... What is how is this team going to rebuild from here? It's how are they going to build on this success going into next season? It's there is a sense of optimism and hope that has not been there before over the last five off seasons, six off seasons that we've gotten to this point. Maybe outside of uh, 2015 when we when the team was coming together and we were kind of looking at this squad as like, all right, this might actually be a team that's ready to compete. But you know, you you pretty much hit it there. It's the goal from day one for Luis Muzi and for Oscar Pereja together was to change the culture for Orlando City. And I don't think that anyone can say they haven't done that. You know, there is a much different feel around this team right now. There is a bigger, a much better belief in this team right now that was not there six months ago. It was not even there, quite frankly, four months ago when MLS's back was starting, was starting up. So they have, in such short order, accomplished a long-term goal in a very short span of time and to be able to now watch and see how much further this can go over the next several weeks and months heading into next season is going to be very interesting and fun to watch. No, and obviously just to kind of follow up on that, we're kind of starting to see some of the the moves that Luis Muzi and Oscar Pereja are putting together. Obviously, I spoke earlier about Antonio Carlos uh, earlier today. Uh, it was announced that Orlando City was going to execute on that purchase option uh, on the original loan that they had on him, and he he penned a three-year deal with an, an, an option year after that. Uh, so, th- I mean, that keeps Antonio Carlos now, what, in the back line in that team for the long haul. Obviously, Gavin kind of pointed it in, in his story that he published at ORL Soccer Journal that uh, Antonio Carlos and Janssen formed a, I mean, you can kind of say a formidable center-back pairing and something to kind of, you know, fall back on going into next season. Um, so obviously, yeah, we have, there's Antonio Carlos. That's been you can kind of check that. You can kind of check that off now. But um, I mean, there's a slew of players as well that kind of remain with some question marks. A lot, a slew of players that came here and played during this season on loan, and they have the option to continue with Orlando next year. Will will it happen? That remains to be seen. But obviously. Uh, there's a there's a there's a you know we're in december now we we see how time go kind of kind of flies by and um 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens to these players. And if they don't come, who Orlando City is going to bring in to kind of replace them? Because obviously it's all about kind of building off this season's success. Yep. You got, you got to make sure those players come back. Yeah. And it's kind of a, um, I wonder if this sets the tone for how this off is going to react because, you know, they've sort of took this, you know, they made this announcement, I think a lot sooner than people kind of expected. Orlando has not traditionally been a team that gets their work done early in the off season. You usually hear a lot of it kind of come together January around training camp starting and in February as the season gets closer, but like they got this deal done and out of the way. Um, and that lets you now look at, all right, we already have our center back pairing locked up and dealt with. Has that really ever happened before with Orlando City? It feels like there's always a question, who's going to be starting there? Who, you know, who, What's the combination going to look like? Now we know, it, for the most part, we can assume that it's locked up with those two, and that's one less thing that they have to worry about. I mean, they've never, had, they've never had a good defensive back. I mean, line, yeah, exactly. Like, ever that, <laughs> so well. I the mean, fact the fact that they've they've gotten this deal done means, hey, we found something good. Let's not throw it away. I, I remember. Well, I mean, they did have Jonathan Spector there for a bit, looking like he might be the guy to to lock you down for a little bit, but that didn't last very long. But but that right. season too. I mean, you, if you go back to 2017, uh, you, if we can remember it, that that the, like Austin said, there wasn't there really hasn't been a solid center back pairing at, for Orlando, and and I and I go back to the 2017 season because. That center back pairing, it, it looked like it was a revolving door because obviously Jonathan Spector was banged up for most of the 2017 season, if I'm correct. And then you kind of saw, was it Leo Pereira playing at some point in the center back? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Redding, was mm-hmm. was he still there in 2017? I mean, yep. I, I need to go back down memory lane here. But but for, for once this season, we, we saw... You can't a, forget the legend David Mateos. At yeah. all either. Yeah. So I mean, for, put for some the, respect on his name for the first is, time. Do we season. have to <laughs> no. listen? No, Here, here's the thing. So you you had Jonathan Spector, Seb Hines, Jose Aha, Connor Seb Donovan, Hines. Tommy Redding, like Leo Pereira. These guys were the back line of Orlando City in 2017. I mean, Seb Hines was a set piece hero, though. So like he at least contributed in some way. He had a goal in 2017. Oh, you can't forget in those six four. appearances. You can't forget 2017. Those. Was Seb Hines' like year where he spent most of the time rehabbing with OCB? Wait, but we can't forget yeah. though that that was it a four goal performance and that uh, Bahia friendly or was it three goals? Yeah, yeah, the four goal it friendly. Was, it was a few goals, yeah, where he went off, cemented his status as a set piece legend. Yep. Uh, but no, it, it's again this team has not had a good center back pairing uh, defensively for uh many years you could go back to the usl seasons probably when you had rob valentino as the anchor of that uh back line i think that's probably the last time i can remember where orlando city had a a center back where you could say yeah you feel confident with that guy back there yeah and i mean especially we don't really know how much that purchase option was for but the speculation too is that it was for a pretty good amount of money i mean on transfer market he's antonio carlos is valued at what a million two million dollars so like orlando likely paid a lot of money to get him which says a lot about his value to the club but also how much they wanted him that they got this deal done so quickly i I think one question that i have is obviously the, the the focus is to retain players and keep players but on the other side of the coin, you it makes you wonder: Will Orlando field any offers for any other players? Uh, obviously, Chris Mueller is at his last year of his contract, if I'm correct. But even if you 
were to hold on to him, go, knowing how he kind of steadily is just leveling up each season, and obviously we have to look at this at this sport as a, as a business too. Well, do you I mean do you see Luis Muzi fielding any offers for for any particular player that's kind of been on the rise and 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 kind of not only rising at, at a at a individual player level on the field, but also rising at a value level as well. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I I 100% see that. Like you said, this this is a business, not just a team. Um, if you go back to both Muzi and Pereja's time at FC Dallas. You know, they've sold off quite a few number of their young players overseas uh, to go on to do uh, bigger things. Because if, if I'm correct, was it, man, you, you turn 30 years old and you kind of start losing your memory a little bit. But what <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, because remember that one off season where Yoshimar got sold to Cruz Azul? That was yeah. Luis Muzi's first winter with the team, right? Because James O'Connor was entering his first full season with the club. Was that the end of 2018 that he was sold off? Because no, because I remember there was a, uh, it was the combine and we had a uh, James O'Connor media availability. It was during the winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. December was, of 2018 is when Yoshi was sold off. That sound, you know, Orlando City selling Yoshi Mar just came out of nowhere. Obviously, it was good because Orlando City got some money, a, a good, a good, a good, good amount of money for Yoshi, but it came out of nowhere so it makes you wonder if if that were to ha- if that happened then will that happen now i mean and who would it be well i mean i was gonna say in fairness wasn't yoshi trying to leave like he he wanted out of orlando at he that did. point so that kind of is what made it happen you look at the state of the team too during that time i mean orlando really wasn't yeah, that yeah I, I don't blame him <laughs> for sure <laughs> But I think, like, when you talk about a guy like Chris Mueller, like, by all indications, he seems very happy with Orlando. No, and course. I think it kind of depends on what happens with him. Now he's got his first national team call-up. If he establishes himself with the national team, that's only going to drive his value up. And, and here's, so I think Orlando's going to wait to see how that here's, plays out. Here's the other thing. Um, the one thing I've noticed with a lot of high-prospect young U.S. internationals, if they go and play overseas, the competition gets better, but they drop off the U.S. men's national team radar a lot more than people would expect. That's very true. I mean, you, you, I mean, have listen, like Matt Miazga. Well, the guys to, who don't play, do. right? Matt Miazga went from Red Bulls overseas and got bought by Chelsea, and like a year after that, he was playing at a high level in Europe, but fell off the map for the U.S. men's national team completely because he was playing at, at not as notable clubs that don't get as much exposure. But that. Like, that he was playing at what, like Vienna or something? Yeah, that leads. But to, that's well, the thing you would worry about with Chris Mueller. Like he's just starting to get his feet wet with the national team. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, that, well, I, it's, that, it's hard to say with him because, like, you know, the the ceiling is high for him, and you'd want to be able to capitalize on that, especially if he wants to go play in Europe. But really, the the ball's in his court at this point because he's out of contract, and Orlando City is going to have to field him an offer. No, so. I think that just leads to another uh, topic for I guess another podcast, whether it. MLS players that are excelling here, do they have what it takes to kind of compete in Europe? Because I mean, you look at the Euro players I mean, yeah. that they're there. I, I would, a hundred percent, so because you look at some of the younger players that have gone from from MLS academies or even just MLS in general mm-hmm. over to Europe. And we just got breaking news, guys. Oh, Mauricio Pereira. Oh wow. <laughs> it agrees to a contract, contract extension. All right, perfect timing. I, you know, I was worried that when we started this recording that we were going to 
miss out on some news over the next couple days or so because we're recording this like on the day. But uh, Mauricio Pereira has agreed to a one-year contract extension, so he is staying along for the 2021 season, at the very least. So that that's good. That's something we were going to get into in a little bit, but we'll go ahead and talk about it right now. Mauricio Pereira, arguably one of the linchpins of the offense, one of the most important players for uh, Orlando City in the entire offensive scheme. Oscar Pereira has made no bones about it. He likes a traditional number 10 in his offense, and Mauricio Pereira is that guy for them. Um, When he was brought in, they were basically trying to build a team around him, and he is the central force of the offense so it may it only makes sense that they are that he was one of the guys they wanted to try and resign yeah no that is you know when you look at kind of like the high priority pieces getting Antonio Carlos getting out or Mauricio Pereira is right there one and two those are two of the most important starting center blocks that you have and like like you said you know he is the guy that Oscar Pereja wants in that lineup he's the perfect player for it to lock him down for another year was certainly important. And again, getting business done right at the start of the offseason, it shows Orlando's focused on building this team up as quickly as they can. And it lets them focus their time on new things. Dare I say Orlando City are being the protagonists in the offseason? <laughs> That's actually probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, listen, what, 48 hours later after the game is over, you're already going and signing players when usually... It would take weeks right. for their for them to get their shit together. And now it's like, we know what we're doing. We have a plan in place. We're going to go out and be protagonists of the offseason. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. If, if we get a chance to interview Oscar Pereja and he says that. Oh, more news. Andres Pereja was just called up to the national team. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He replaced Frankie Amaya, who tested positive for COVID. Oh, Jesus Christ. Goodness. Okay, well... I guess we'll talk about Andres Perea now. <laughs> it leads right into these things because we were at, at some point during this show, we were going to talk about the players that are out of contract. We've just talked about Chris Mueller. We just talked about Mauricio Pereira. And now we're going to talk about Andres Perea. His loan with the option to buy ends at the end of this year. The question is, at 20 years old with a dual national, how big is it? to try and re-sign or buy Andres Perea. Because here's the thing. He just got his his call up to the national team. He's 20 years old. He doesn't take up an international slot. And he played almost every single game for Orlando City in the regular season. You you gotta think that Oscar Perea is... He is one of the, the top guys on his list to get business done with him. And this is the senior men's national team that Perea got called up to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. I mean, I don't think he's even... He, he's made some appearances with the U18s, right? Or U20s? Columbia National Team? He's, yeah. he's, made, he's made a number of appearances with some of the youth-level uh, teams, yes. The vibe from this group has been very young, so it kind of makes sense that they're taking a look at all these these young players you know, now. Right. He's made away. So he's, he's never made a full Columbia National Team appearance. He has made 12 U17 and 5 U20 appearances. So this would, if he were to play in their latest games, then he would be making his uh, senior national team debut. And again, he's only 20 years old. He just turned 20 on November 14th. 
So he is arguably one of the best young prospects for Orlando City, and he just joined them this year. Plus, he's Colombian, so Pereja has a, a rapport with him, uh, you know, kind of being able to help him through um, the the professional game because Pereja has been there and done that, and in Colombia as well as the U.S. So I think having a coach that can relate to you as a person makes you more wanting to stay with that coach, especially if you have a good rapport with not only the coach, but also the rest of your teammates. Yeah. So you, you got to think that Perea is, is one of the guys that they really want to get done. Um, while we're on the subject of, of out of contract players and uh, loan players, uh, Alexander Alvarado officially still loaned, towards the end of the season with the option to buy but from what i've been hearing it's it's pretty much a formality that they're buying him uh it just so happened that the option to loan him in for the rest of the season was there so they wanted to do that rather than wait till the end of the season and then buy him so it's he's pretty much here for for the foreseeable future uh but it's just waiting on you know the the stuff to happen one player that i'm kind of interested in and obviously this is going back to Muzi doing business if he were to get that opportunity is obviously with the status of Josue Coleman. Obviously, he's on he's on loan. His loan ends at year's end at Cerro Porteño. But obviously, you look at his Instagram and he, I mean, first off, he doesn't look like a kid anymore. He looks like he's developed his, his, his he just looks like he's just grown into a more, I guess, adult looking player, if that's the proper wording. But it, it makes you wonder, even if he does not come back, He's still under contract with Orlando City, if I'm correct. So, I mean, several. Oh, so hold on, hold on a second. I have just, I didn't realize this. I, I for some reason thought that Pereo was being called up to the Colombian national team, not the U.S. men's national team. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That, that I did not clock that at all. <laughs> that just went so, over, yeah. over you. <laughs> well, I, I just didn't realize it because like I, I forgot yeah he's he's a dual citizen so yep. I, I was just mentioning that two couple seconds ago born okay tampa. Yeah. yeah yeah he's a tampa born born native and probably uh one of the easiest call-ups since he is still in orlando and it's like what three hour drive he played every regular season game for orlando city um he's sh- he's shown that he you can kind of rely on him and oscar pareja is Said he's a huge talent for Colombia. Obviously, he looks like Greg Berhalter's trying to make him a huge talent for the U.S. men's national team. So we might yeah. be in for a bidding war. I mean, you think about the job that um, not just Muzi and Perea, but Ricardo Moreira is mm-hmm. the the, uh, the, the head, head scout. scout for them. The, the job that these guys have done to now within the last 24 hours put three players on the U.S. men's national team. That's pretty significant considering how little national team attention Orlando City has gotten over the last six years. Yeah, I mean, here, let me put it to you in perspective here. Over the, the first five years of their existence, um, the closest that any player has gotten to the U.S. men's national team was Dom Dwyer, and he had just made his senior men's national team debut in the Gold Cup of 2017 when he was still with Sporting Kansas City. He was then traded to Orlando, made one appearance against Portugal, then was called up for the January camp, got injured, and hasn't played since. That's the the closest Orlando City has gotten to uh, significant uh, U.S. men's national team attention, and um, that was with a traded player. Um, right now, two of the three players that Orlando City has in the U.S. men's national team camp 
were drafted out of college, Chris Mueller and Daryl DK. And the third was scouted out of Columbia, Andres Perea. So, again, um, Chris Mueller was drafted by Jason Christ, so uh, that that's a whole other thing with Nicky Budalich and, and Christ drafting him. But apparently, Oscar Pereja was very keen on Chris Mueller back in college as well. Uh, but still, credit to Orlando City and their, their staff and their scouting and everything in between to, to make huge strides throughout this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, like I said, it just goes to show the youth movement that in Orlando, it, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just you know something that people are saying. It's something that they're they're doing, and right now we're seeing it kind of paying fruition right at the moment. So while we are on the subject of other players' possibilities for coming back or not, um, as of right now. Dom Dwyer, out of contract, missed all of all of this past year. He's thirty years old. Worth a lot. What does the future hold for Dom Dwyer? Do Orlando try and sign him back on a smaller contract? Do they let him go and and let him see what what the offers he can field? What do you think? I think so many things factor into this talking point because, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that he's going to have to take a pay cut. He, I mean, it, you're you're talking about a guy who's a DP, and I mean, obviously, injury injuries kind of kept him. An injury kept him sidelined for all of this year at the end of a an expensive contract that he's already on. But you you look at all the other players that are well paid and and, and and showing off that value. I mean you're gonna it just it just seems so obvious that yeah he's gonna have to take a pay cut if he were to resign. But even if he weren't to get a new contract, obviously you have his wife that plays at Orlando Pride and you you see how kind of these kind of relate you know when when you're in this it it, it just seems like a catch twenty two in a way because Right. Well here's the other thing Sydney LaRue's no guarantee for coming back to the Pride either. That's true. Like both both of them could be could just say, you know what, we're gonna go somewhere else. They could be in talks with a completely new city where it has an NWSL and MLS team and say, Hey, all right, we're gonna we're gonna try and get a deal done here. If you want if you want Sid, you gotta sign Dom. Kinda like if you want Alex, you have to sign Servando. You know, back with uh Alex Morgan and Servando Carrasco back in the day. Uh could be a very similar situation with another team. Um, maybe Racing Louisville calls up Sid and says, hey, uh, Sid, you want to come play for us? And uh, Louisville City will sign Dom. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if he'd take a step right. down to USL, but I mean, crazy Maybe that's what he needs happened. to rejuvenate his career. He, he had to do it in 2013. Maybe he, he That had... was back when he was young, though. Like, he's, a, uh, he's an old veteran now. Hey, they could use a goal scorer. If Cristiano Ronaldo Cincinnati's can score, not that far from Louisville. if Cristiano Ronaldo at age 35 can score 35 goals and 36 appearances, Dom Dwyer Mike. could go to the USL Championship. Mike, and I know you're. I know you're not comparing Dom Dwyer to Cristiano. <laughs> I'm not, Ronaldo but right we're, I'm, 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 we're looking at age here. And no, 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 no. You're 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 comparing the two. <laughs> Come on, man. It's gonna, it's going to be interesting because I mean, 
I mean, look, what what assets does Dom Dwyer bring to the pitch? He has good hold of play. If mm-hmm. you have a guy like Mauricio Pereira pulling the strings and he's able to connect with Dom Dwyer, Dom Dwyer is known to finish it. But then you have Daryl DK, who just kind of took the team by storm. Um, we haven't really seen much of what Matias Aias can can bring. So you look at where Dom Dwyer falls in the pecking order. He's either gonna fall, gonna be third option, a third string forward, or because I mean, so that, that, that's I mean, in Oscar Pereira said that's a good problem he wants to have, but still, it's if you're gonna bring back Dom Dwyer as a third string striker. You just have to expect he's not going to be paid DP level money, not even Tam money. No, not I don't even think he, either. I don't think he expects that right now. Um, I remember asking Adrian Heath when Dom had the injury in the in the MLS bubble. I remember asking him like, you know, what what would you say to Dom? And he's like, well, I know I know Dom's going to come back stronger. You know, he's he's going to want to prove everybody wrong. Uh, you know, he'll do his rehab and uh, he'll come back stronger than ever. Um, but the type of guy that Dom is is that he's one that will always want to prove the doubters wrong. And the more people that doubt him, the more it fuels his fire. So right now, people are going to doubt him. But he want, he's his, his whole mindset is to, I'm going to go prove you wrong. So if he takes a pay cut, he'll go out there and, and try and prove people wrong. And if, if he can't, then, well, um, that might be it for Dom Dwyer, because like, tra- that's not, that's been his whole thing for for years. Not trying to stir the pot, and I mean, obviously going back to Andres Pereira, but even if Andres Pereira got called up by the U.S. Men's National Team, can he turn it down if he wanted to? He's already there. Oh, he's already been. Oh, is he there? The roster, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just one. Okay. The, and this is just a friendly, mind you. So because Yunus whether Musa he plays or not, Right. Was whether he plays, whether he plays or not, is a different story. You, he could just be there for camp. But even if he plays, he still can switch national teams if he wanted to. Because I remember Yunus Musa just got his first cap with the U.S. Men's National Team, and I saw a report out there that was it. Uh, Trippier was trying to was talking to him about uh, Southgate in England. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the FIFA rule is. I mean, can you? Is it? Do you as long a, as it's not a meaningful game, I believe you can still. Well, switch he can switch. apply for a one-time switch. Yeah. through FIFA. I mean, like people do that all the time. Well, Diego right. Costa they, did it with Brazil what, to, to play with Spain. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it becomes it becomes a bit more complicated. That's all. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, wrapping up with the end of you know the the contract options um, according to transfer market, and these these things can be very iffy um kamal miller kyle smith alex Dijon, all out of contract at the end of the year alex Dijon, you didn't really see enough of he's 29 years old and um he didn't really play all that often so i could very easily see his option being turned down or just not brought back um in favor of maybe a michael holiday just having that younger center back kind of try and build him up a little bit i think michael holiday is more of a fullback if um was he not playing center back at OCB though? Uh, I, I can't recall, but I, I, from from speaking to scouts, I know he he plays. He's a, he's he's known to be a speedy fullback. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I can't. I'm not sure which side he plays in, left or right. But but still, I mean, if, look, if Kamal Miller is playing uh, as a left back when he's really a center back, I mean, who knows? Some people would argue with that, Mike. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, asking Kamal Miller last year. I'm like. Are you a natural uh, fullback? He's like, no, I'm a center back. But I guess he... everyone keeps wanting to play him as a left back, though. The national team, Orlando City, 
<laughs> Makes you wonder if he's actually happy playing as a... Listen, if Breck Shea told people, I'm not a left back, and yet everybody <laughs> plays him as a left back, you're a goddamn left back. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. You, it's it's like, um, oh, who is it? Mohamed El-Manir. Everyone wanted him to play up front as a winger. And he's like, no, I'm a left back. Well, he played but as a his wing- skill set is... His skill set is a winger. He played as a wing back at some points under O'Connor, right? Yeah, but he he said, he kept telling everyone I'm a left back, not a wing back. Makes sense. So again, you know, it's it's the di- it's the difference between the player and the coaching staff. Um, but if enough people tell you you're one thing, uh, it kind of becomes it takes a shape of its own, I guess. So, um, Kamal Miller, as of right now, is a left back. And is currently out of contract, so we'll we'll see if they end up bringing him back. He's only twenty three years old. Um, I think they have a team option. I think he when he signed his rookie deal, it was two and a, two and a third. I want to say, so they could pick up his option. Um, one player that I want to bring up, I think he's one of the last people outside of Rodrigo Schlegel, who we'll get into in a second, uh, that is out of contract, is the longest tenured player for Orlando City. Can you guys guess who it is? At the moment? Yes. Longest Mason Stadahar. There you go. Yeah, Gavin amazing. got it. Mason Stadahar, who has been here since, what, December of 2015 or 16? Yeah, ahead of the 2016 season. Yeah. So he's been here since the like very beginning almost. He's quite a and journey. And he's yet to make an appearance for Orlando City he's MLS a, side. He's an Orlando City journeyman that literally has quite a journey. I mean, obviously, what he had to go through with his mm-hmm. uh, uh, with the medical condition, um, right? And then having a, I think he had a pretty, he had a pretty good season at Tulsa. Um, eh, it was it was average, you know. It was one of his first seasons, proper seasons, playing professionally, and he's still very young. You know that that's the thing that people tend to forget. Mason's only twenty two years old. He's still got old? a lot, like twenty two. You know, he, he he joined the team at 17, but he's you, been training under guys like, uh, well, he trained a little bit under Tally Hall when he was training with the team in 2015, trained under Joe Bendick, he's trained under um, guys like Pedro Galese and Brian Ronell. You know, he, he's had a lot of different is, guys coaching him and, and helping him throughout his journey. The only thing that he doesn't have is... Is time? Uh, right. And if you ask any goalkeeper around the world, the worst thing for a young player to do is sit on a bench. Of and course, not play. you you, you got to play him. I mean, right. is his is his is his contract? What's his contract status like? If if do we know? Uh, good luck finding contract statuses of MLS players. Well, the thing is, even if he's he's here for another year, you're gonna have to play the kid. Either you loan him out, where he's gonna play consistently. Because obviously OCB wasn't. I think he he only played one match for OCB. He was goalkeeper he, starting. You know he played he played two or three. Two? That's still not enough. And it's, I mean, of you, course it's not enough. But this year this year was a bit complicated, obviously. But with with Mason, he could still play next year with OCB. Um, because he'd be twenty three years old. He turns twenty three tomorrow, actually, on December second. Um, he could still play with OCB for one more year get some playing time at the very least, keep him in Orlando and keep him around the team so that he still gets experience playing with the first team of MLS, but also gets playing time 
and game time in uh, whatever Orlando City ends up playing in. But we'll, we'll see, because here's the thing. With Mason, he's a homegrown player. He's Orlando. And the way that Luis Muzi has talked about homegrown players being an important part of this team, it would kind of be almost like a backhanded compliment by saying, hey, we drafted Santiago Patino because we care about our homegrown players, but also we're not going to give Mason Setahar a chance to ever play an MLS game. So it's almost bad optics if you let him go at this point. Not one to kind of makes you wonder because hypothetically speaking, if we're going to go that way, Luis Muzi decides to decline the option on Brian Rowe. Hypothetically speaking, Mason is now second stringer. It'll be a huge step. Mm-hmm. And who would be that third goalkeeper? And I, I mean, one player that I see and I've noticed on social media that he's been hanging out with the fir- he's been training with the first team and he's been with the first team um, in the stands is OCB goalkeeper Javier Otero. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you wonder whether there's some rumblings about him probably signing because there's also rumblings that Raul Aguilar is is bound to sign a homegrown deal with the first team. Oh, Aguilera. Yep. So, yep. obviously, this goes... Now, this ties in with the whole Muzi looking at the homegrown academy players and, and moving them mm-hmm. up. So, I mean, I, I mean, would I be surprised if I see... Well, I think once it does get announced, Raul Aguilera is going to sign a home... If he signs a homegrown, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise because he's been training with the first team for... This pretty much since the summer. Now you see Javier Otero training with the first team. Not, I mean, I'm not saying there's something going on there, but you, you kind of see what's going on in social media. I mean, here's the thing. With the way that Luis Muzi and Oscar Pereja have talked about the academy, the whole idea of having OCB at the same complex as Orlando City is that they can go ahead and say, hey, if we, I remember asking Luis Muzi this question. Like one of the first press conferences we did with 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 Luis, and he went into detail about how important it was to have both the youth team and the MLS team training in the same area. Every club is different, right? I mean, FC Dallas is something that it's amazing because everything is right there, right? So you walk into the office, you have your under tens training here, your under twelves here, your fifteens here, your nineteens, your first team here, first team coaches running a drill that needs two forwards. And two forwards, so there's a lot of that in Acid Dallas, right? Uh, the the um, the idea of integration should be the same, in my opinion, right? And he he wants that cohesiveness between the two teams to be a thing. So the fact that they're training with the MLS team shouldn't be a surprise, nor should it be like a a, a sign saying, oh, you know, this guy could be a, a a tab, you know, tabbed for the next uh, homegrown player. I think it's just that's what this team wants for their homegrown players to be able to kind of interchange with the first team and get that experience. The Aguilera thing I would say is a bit more pronounced because like you said, there've been rumors about him signing, not just him training since the summer with the the MLS side. But I think with Otero, I think it's, it's more just um, Galese was out of town and they needed another goalkeeper. It could be it could be the other thing. Could be that they're tabbing him for for another homegrown deal, but 
if they haven't played a homegrown keeper in four years, I don't know if you want to sign another homegrown keeper unless you're moving on from Mason. Because again, you have to play the optics here. What's If you're trying to recruit other kids to want to stay with Orlando's academy and, and give them a pathway to professionalism, and then you don't give Mason Sadahar a chance, it kind of doesn't shine the greatest of lights at that point because he spent five years here and never got a chance. But that remains to be seen. We will we will talk about that as as it comes along. Uh, the last one I want to talk about is is the other goalkeeper, Rodrigo Schlegel, <laughs> um, the one time goalkeeper, uh, mainly center back. He is uh, also another one of those players that loan option uh, from Racing Club in Argentina. I he showed enough that I would say if it's if the price is right, bring him back. Um. Because again, he's one of those those young center backs. Like, like I said with Alex DeJohn, you know, he's twenty nine, but I mean Schlegel's young. I like he's he's ripe for bringing back to the club. He's only twenty three years old. He's played well in the times that he played. Again, as long as the price is right, bring him back. I, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, we're in for. I mean, we're seeing it right now. We're in for a. Busy off season. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. Orlando City is just trying to wrap this up before the holiday break, so we can kind of just kumbaya our way into twenty twenty one. Yeah, just have a very very calm off season. No, yeah, no big like, surprises. Right. Like I think, kind of going back to like what I was alluding to earlier is like everything gets done so close to the season starting. It, be, it maybe it's a nice change of pace. They get everything out of the way now. The people that they want to bring back, they bring back. And then this way you have that roster in place to make a plan around. Like, all right, this is what we have. Now here's what we still need as opposed to, all right, are we going to have this? What do we need? Who knows? Because we have nothing. It makes our lives a little easier too because now it's like much less speculating right off the bat. Although that does take the fun out of podcasting. I mean, yeah. What 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 about speculation? Who doesn't, who doesn't want to? Sit down and and put the tinfoil hat on and try and yeah. I mean, we we would never do that on this no, podcast. No, we have journalistic integrity. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Big J journalists over here, <laughs> big time, <laughs> big time. All right, um, I want to do something very quickly before we start talking about the. Uh, so, did we ever talk about the New England game? Did we plan on that? Uh, at this point, it's like a moot point. We spent forty yeah. something minutes talking about everything else, like. They, the, Orlando played bad. Very bad judgmental yeah. mistakes, yeah. by the way. I think they they really let themselves down. I mean, when you look at kind of that game, who can you blame but Orlando City? They they missed opportunities. They they lost their cool. They didn't hold their composure. And, and ultimately, they let New England beat them. Yep. And, and that's a Bruce Arena coached team, a guy who's yeah. been there, a guy who knows what to expect from MLS playoffs and how to – get under opponent's skins and that's exactly what new england did that's exactly what new york city did they mm-hmm. got under orlando's skin and forced them to make mistakes i mean Juan doesn't get that red card unless gary mckay steven kind of discreetly shoves him to the ground and instigates can, can we talk about like, what is mauricio Pereira <laughs> thinking because 
He's Listen, not. It's blind rage at that point. Like you, you, that, you would think it's just like I'm pissed off. I want to get the ball back. Oops, I've made a mistake. So, uh, your the Twitter the feed that I was watching the game, I was probably sixty seconds to ninety seconds behind real life. And mm-hmm. the first thing I saw on Twitter, like I try to stay off like Twitter on a different tab, so I don't have to look at that. Sure. But I just happened to be on it when Julia said, "Wow, Mauricio Pereira straight red," and I'm thinking, "All right, what?" And I'm watching this play develop, and it's, you know, he's, um, Matt Polster is running straight back, and Perea is behind him. And my first thought is, all right, this is not going to be good if it's getting a straight red. And as the play sort of keeps developing, and he, you just like, when you know it's coming, it makes it even that more mind blowing that that is a tackle that he decided to make in that scenario. Like, you are the, you are one of the most important players on the team. Why, why are you doing why that? Lose why lose your are head you like putting that? yourself, yeah, like, what, what do you gain from that? I remember telling Michael Citro of the mainland that, I mean, besides the fact that it was a pretty dumb thing for Mauricio to do, Antonio Carlos had poster covered. He could have mm-hmm. added some pressure, and that would have been all avoided. But Yeah, it's not like he was on a breakaway. Like It's not like it's just him and against the goalkeeper, and he's coming out of nowhere just no, to make it, the it was, it was And, and poster, poster turned. He turned away from goal to pull it back. Yeah, exactly. He was not... His face was not. His body was not towards goal, like you said. Yeah, he's look. He's going back towards the sideline at that point. So there's no reason to make that risk. Yep. But again, it was a really dumb decision. I think Mauricio knew it immediately after he did it, and he's like, "What have I done?" You know, talk, talking. At, well, like after the game, Oscar was was asked, like, uh, "What what was you know what, what did you say to Mauricio?" You know, he said, he said, I know Mauricio, and this is a quote, by the way, I know Mauricio, and I know how much he will be hurt at this moment. For me as a coach, it's easy. I say this to coaches and coaches know better, but it's easy to praise players or to be backing the players up when we win and do all these good things. I'm behind them as well, even when they, uh, when these things happen, you know, I recognize it and I stay with uh, Mauricio. I haven't seen him. I know how he feels. I back him a hundred percent, but the context was, he was very upset on what happened yeah and i think i don't know like when you kind of look at orlando losing their composure i think you know you want to stand up for your player your teammate but also their reaction to that was is also kind of disappointing as well the team blew up on what was obviously a right call the referee was in a perfect spot to see it i mean it was the, the, the emotion just boiled over the emotion should boil over i get that but for someone like nani to go up bump the referee to grab him from behind to turn him back. Mm-hmm. That's not right. That's not the leadership, the example that they should be out there setting and following. Right. And the, but that's the thing. Your your two your two most veteran players, one got the red card yeah. and the other one got in the ref's face. That sets the tone for the rest of the team. Right. And it's not that even Nani was doing that in that one moment. He was doing that constantly all game. It kind of felt like he was he was giving up on plays. I mean the one play where Tejan Buchanan he goes down on just a really soft tackle that leads to that first penalty kick. And he just lays there on the ground. Like he gave up on the play. And it's that, like, that was the second goal. That was the second goal. The one in open play that, that Nani fell down. And okay, then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it led to, to the breakaway for that. Yeah. yeah. Here's the but, thing. I want to, I want to bring up something that Oscar said. He said, uh, very, very interesting. And, and I think somebody else picked up on this and I don't remember who it was. Um, but as he was talking about Mauricio, he said, um, we were very upset on what happened the last 10 days here. And somebody asked him about this, and I can't remember exactly the context because I don't have the quote in front of me, but 
he was asked, you know, was the the last 10 days, was that NYCFC game still in the back of your players' minds? Because it certainly seemed like it. Like they came into the game thinking the ref was going to screw them out of the game or something. Because every contentious challenge, they were upset at the ref. They were yelling and they were they were showing that emotion. Mm-hmm. So you got to wonder, you know, did that, did that game against NYCFC with everything that happened in that penalty shootout, did it kind of set the tone for this game against New York, New England? Yeah, I think Ben was it. Benji Michelle posted something on on Instagram or Twitter before the game. It was a picture that like fans had put up that was Orlando versus everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if the team really did have that mindset in the locker room. It's you know, woe is us. Everything everybody's against us. So every little thing that goes wrong, it's not us. It's them. It's the world trying to bring us down. That's a good point. It's, it's, yeah. it's a two-way street, though, because like the supporters groups had an Orlando versus everybody, like mini TIFO kind of thing uh, for the NYCFC game as well. Um, but it's a two-way street when it comes to uh, us versus everybody, because it can you can use it to motivate the players and be like, everybody's against you. It's only us. We have to go out and play our game and show that we can beat everybody d- despite the adversity. But then also, like you said, the other side of the coin is everybody's out to get us if we get screwed out of a result it's not us it's them because they're against us that's i think that's where they really let themselves down is because they had been so good at doing that with playing with that chip on their shoulder all year not being phased out i mean we saw it at mls's back you know nobody believed that they could win and they still went out there and they did it but in this game they sort of it was almost like they kind of crumbled under the their own pressure of themselves because of all of that kind of what you know self-inflicted um, madness against them, hatred of them, and they just kind of they let their emotions get the best of them. And I think ultimately that's kind of really where all their problems led to is because it was just one thing after another. Where from the very early on in the game, Nani's screaming at the ref. The, what was it like the fifteenth minute when I they showed a shot of the referee yelling back at Nani like I'm done, I'm done with you, mm-hmm. stop this. Like, and it but it just continued throughout the afternoon, and he was getting more and more progressively agitated, not just at the referee, not at the other players, but at his own teammates. There was a moment where he, you know, a couple moments where he's yelling at Kamal Miller for doing the wrong things out there, which is, you know, it's fine. But like, if you're, it's one thing if you're correcting a player, but it's another thing if you're showing visible frustration with them on the field and trying to get more out of them in the moment. That's just like, there's a, you know, walking that line between being a leader and being someone that is, kind of causing more uh, frustration for your team here's the thing i i there's nothing wrong with playing with passion it's just controlled no, passion right no, absolutely you, you don't want to let it get the best of you and i think that's exactly what happened with mm-hmm. orlando and especially especially after perea goes off you're down a man for half an hour like that's where you need him to step up be the guy that kind of rallies the team together and i just didn't see that happen Especially, I mean, and then he gets that penalty kick and he's, and it's saved. And that right there felt like the moment that the game was over. Mm. That felt like, all right, that was Orlando's best chance. They didn't get it. They're probably not going to get another one. Yeah. It was, um, it was just Despite one of those the games. the fact that, that New England surprisingly up a goal, up a man, and yet they almost just kind of sat back that whole time. <laughs> like they well, that was their whole game really, for 90 minutes. I, yeah, the, the like they just th- kind of bunkered. Right. The one thing I noticed throughout the entire game was how congested that midfield was. 
mm-hmm. right? They weren't putting any pressure on the Orlando back line realistically. They were letting them play around the back. But as soon as it crossed midfield, two players on the ball. And they were they were so diligent with their pressing when it got to a certain point in the midfield. And it was so congested for Orlando that they couldn't take a touch without a player being on them and taking the ball away. And it resorted to Orlando having to play long balls over top and and trying to stretch the defense out a bit more. Uh, but again, to, to a New England's credit, they were very good at, at reading the game. So I think it was a combination of the frustration of not being able to play their game, to be the protagonists and to have to kind of adjust, combined with all the other stuff that we just talked about, kind of led us to what happened in that game. Mm-hmm. And and again, credit to, to Bruce Arena and, and New England. They came out with a solid game plan and really frustrated the hell out of Orlando. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of interested to see how it goes against Columbus. Well, Columbus just had an, what, an eighth player test positive? Yeah, it remains to be seen if that game's even going to be played. I mean, uh, if New it, England could get a free buy out to the uh, MLS Cup, which but, would be uh, uh, a bit of a travesty. How, imagine how MLSy and how 2020 it would be if Nashville advances to the MLS Cup final. <laughs> because I mean, how would how would a, a Nashville be able to do it though? Uh. Nashville lost to Columbus, so if Columbus is is supposed to play New England. Wait, then are you? New England wins automatically if, if Columbus has to drop out. I'm sorry. Well, uh, Nashville's gone. Never mind. So yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah. So I mean, how? <laughs> so let me re, let me rephrase that. I mean, how 2020 it would be if New England advances. Got to a free buy. Yeah. Get a free that buy. Would be very 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 2020. Very MLS 2020. Put it either way. All right. So uh, now that we've talked about that, I want to bring up one last thing before we uh, talk about the last thing in the show, which is the Champions League games happening at Exploria Stadium soon. I have brought up our 2020 Orlando Soccer Journal staff predictions. I'm going to go through each of ours to see how wrong or right we were. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about So, that. Mike, <laughs> the first question you were pre- presented with was over under 40 points. You said over. And even with this shortened season, you were correct. 41 points is Ooh. how they finished out. Uh, you picked seventh for them to finish in conference, which wasn't too far off. You were three off, but you still had them making the playoffs. You had Nani as the top goal scorer, and Nani ended up finishing third in goals with six. Well, nobody expected Daryl DK and Chris Mueller to. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you never expect well, these things. Brad actually expected Daryl DK to pop off. Brad did. Brad Brad knew that Daryl DK was going to be the breakout star. He called it on this show a couple months ago. Uh, your breakout star was Mauricio Pereira, which wasn't too far off. He finished with eight assists, which was one of the tops in the league. Only two goals in 16 games. But uh, I wouldn't say he was like the breakout star, but he was definitely a, a star for Orlando. It was funny reading your prediction here because you said, here's here's a quote from your, your preseason prediction. The high press game will allow the Lions to be protagonists on the field, something that Pereja has emphasized from the moment uh, for most of the preseason. The Lions are able to build an identity around that. For the first time in a while, they could actually defy expectations on the field. That's, that's quite. That's quite a. That's quite an apt quote right there, Mike. You well need done. A, you need to copy and paste that because I'm. I want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> Send it in the group chat. 
I'll send it in the group chat. That's well done. You, you, you didn't get the other ones. You got, what, technically three right, I would say. You got the over under 40 points. You got the breakout star with Mauricio and expectation for the season. Uh, okay, on to me. I had over for 40 points. I had them finishing sixth, which was two away from how they ended up finishing. Um, I picked Benji as the top goal scorer as well as the breakout star. He ended up finishing with five goals in 21 games, which uh, respectable, but uh, not necessarily a breakout star. He had the third best goals per 90 minute out of anybody on the team. So I'll, I'll take that. For, for what it is, I guess. Um, and he also had the uh, best scoring percentage at 31%. So, um, and then on my prediction, uh, do, 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 do. if the team can find consistent goal scoring, this team can win a lot of one nothing games throughout the season with the defense and goalkeeper they have. Until they prove otherwise, it's a team that has never made the playoffs. Once they start putting good performances together, you will hopefully see what this team is truly made of. So... Again, pretty pretty similar, you know, basically saying, hey, good defense and goalkeeping, and, and that ended up being true. And they started putting good performances together, so you saw what this team was truly made of. Mm-hmm. On to Gavin. Yikes. Over under for 40 points. You said over, so we were all right on that. You picked them finishing seventh with Mike, so you were three off. Your top goal scorer, Big Dom Dwyer. <laughs> that age quick. That, that, no longer that, that wish is. to be included in this narrative. <laughs> <You're fired>. uh, <laughs> I quote, we want to believe in Dom again, so here goes nothing. Yeah, about that. Breakout star, Cabal Miller. Yeah, I don't think he really broke out much this year. I believe an expanded role in 2020, he'll take the next step as one of the league's rising defenders. I mean, in fairness, I didn't think Jao Moutinho would be as good as he was. Well, considering he wasn't starting a lot of games last year, nobody really expected it. Yeah, I mean, it was a a fair prediction. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's see. Gavin's expectations for the season. We're looking at this roster and wondering where the goals are going to come from. And if nobody is able to step up to be the elite goal scorer, cough, cough, dom, then that player is likely going to have to come from an out from outside of the team in the summer. Kind of true. You can make an argument way. for Daryl DK. You could you could say he was not out. He wasn't with the team during the beginning of the season and started making appearances during the summer. Um, the East is going to be a dogfight, but if Orlando can figure out how to balance the attack with its defense, I think this is finally the year we get to watch some playoff soccer in Orlando. Yeah, he's right. Orlando City was somewhat the top dog in that dogfight yeah. this year in the Eastern Conference. At I least mean, in one fairness, of the top. All of this was also pre-pandemic, you know, pre-Atlanta being bad. Oh, of and course, New York of not course. Being very good. <laughs> all things. There was no way we could predict anything that happened in 2020. However. Having said that, we still kind of came close with our predictions. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where we are with all of these thoughts four months from now. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be the fun part. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I, looking at this, this is 2020. <laughs> Should I even bother going back to the 2019 staff predictions and reading those? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm sure those were a hoot. 
Yeah. You know, this this team has always had that those uh those moments where it's like you want to believe and then you you predict that they're going to do something good and then they don't and you just like, well, here we go again. So it kind of just it slowly but surely takes the life out of you and this year kind of brought life back into yeah. a lot of fans where it's like, "Hey, I can actually start believing in this team again." Mm-hmm. Not only are they it's like not only do they play well, but they've got promising young players. They're getting right. called up to the national team and they're signing back to the team to come back again for next year. Yeah, I mean, remember 2018 when we were like, man, they got Sasha Kleshin, they got Justin Miram, like they got all these guys who are going to be so good. I mean, even the MLS Joe soccer Bendick was guys. stellar last year, Jonathan Spector, like, and then they were just not. The national yeah. media, I remember, was was harping on that. Orlando City is going to have a great season. They Justin Miram, Sasha Kleshin, game on. It went to show you that names don't mean anything. It's nice to have big names, but it doesn't mean you're going to have a successful season. And I think Orlando learned that. It was also say, it was also Jason Kreis's you know last attempt to try and make something of the team, but he also ended up setting Orlando back years because of all the money he spent on players that ended up not working. It's kind of funny, out. like when you when you think about how you like MLS teams, we always talk about like bringing in veterans and established MLS guys. Orlando's track record with those players is not very good. Mm-mm. When you talk about Amobia Kugo, Aurelian Collins, Sasha Klesch, and Justin Miram, Dom Dwyer, like they've gone big on a lot of guys and none of them have panned out. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, maybe you can kind of say Breck Shea a little bit too. I mean, Breck was big before he went to England. Yes. And they wanted to try and revitalize his career. Yeah. But well, I would say it's probably safe to say Paul McDonough wanted to try to revitalize his career and has been trying for the last five years now, <laughs> the last six years. Hey, listen, Breck Shea got votes for Comeback Player of the Year. Maybe, maybe <laughs> coming back from being bad. Maybe Breck is yeah. is uh, just the one supplying Paul McDonough's uh, house with paintings. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. I can just imagine the conversation with Paul McDonough. It's like, okay, Breck, you can stay, but you got to paint a painting every other week. I mean, yeah. is it possible? Man, <laughs> but, hey. You know, listen, in England, you have the uh, big big Sams, Alan Pardews, those guys that come in to save your clubs. In America, we have Breck Shea. That's the guy you want to write the ship for you. Has Miami announced um, their uh, 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 player options yet? No, but would you would you believe if they announced Breck Shea coming back? I mean, they're gonna have to. And gut- then, or, listen, Miami Miami fans were celebrating Breck Shea as one of their heroes. Yeah, I remember that. Just shows you what well, Miami thinks of their their he, best players is is Orlando Castoffs. Didn't he sign first with the USL team before he got booted up to? That is correct. So he did sign with Fort Lauderdale, and then what, he got promoted. What's back there? Up. To, what's there to celebrate if you're signing a guy to your USL team first? Then uh, I don't know. I mean, you could argue that he was um, he was a, a a diamond in the rough for Miami because he was a USL League One player. That's an insult to Kevin Molino because <laughs> Kevin Molino was a diamond in the rough player, and look where he's at. He's close to competing in the Western Conference Final. It's true. Scored a brace. He scored more open play goals in play, in the playoffs than Orlando City ever has in MLS. Hot boy. 
Hot Boys on Fire. Yeah. And, and to think, Junior Urso has the only goal in open play for Orlando City. Just just mention yeah. that, by the way. Uh, Orlando just didn't really show up for the playoffs. I mean, they they were in the playoffs, but really, if you look at it, you, you dissect it, they really didn't show up when it really I don't. I, I wouldn't say they didn't show up. It's just that I think that they just played very good competition. Uh, New York City. Here's the thing. Look at look at who Orlando played this year. Well, it was a lot just, of re- just, repetitive games. Atlanta, Nashville, right. Miami. Atlanta, Nashville, Miami. And and uh, where did Atlanta, Nashville, and Miami end up finishing? Oh no, towards yeah. the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Of course. So, yeah, you guys, you can kind of make. But then you you look at that Columbus game too in in the regular season. Uh, yeah, and they they won by the skin of their teeth. I mean, they were down, down a man. Too. Yeah. Right. But the the thing is, you, you don't get a good, you don't get a great barometer of your team playing the same teams over and over again. And, and Gavin, we we talked about this uh, when they when they originally announced that they weren't going to be giving the supporter shield out. We were talking about it and say, well, you know, I think that would be fair because they're not playing every team. It's not a, a fair barometer of the competition because. Who knows how it would have gone if if you're not playing Western Conference teams or if you're playing the same teams three, four times in the season. Right. So it's the same thing with with Orlando City and, and, you know, the barometer for their teams because they didn't play New England this year up until the playoffs. They played uh, NYCFC, what, twice? Yeah. Yeah. Not including MLS Cup, right? Not including the MLS's back tournament, right? Or is that Yeah, they did. And they did play that one. Um, they played Atlanta. They played Miami. What four times? They played Nashville like four times. No, they played Nashville twice, three times. Atlanta several times. Yeah, Atlanta they Ad- played Toronto. Right, Atlanta and Miami. They played four times each. They played Philadelphia once in the MLS's back tournament, and they drew one one. If you go back and look at the the standings for this Eastern Conference, Orlando played Columbus once. They played NYCFC twice. They played New York Red Bulls twice. Played Nashville a couple times. Didn't play New England. Played Montreal twice. Played Inter Miami four times. Played Chicago once. Played Atlanta four times. Didn't play DC and didn't play uh, Cincinnati. All I want is a balanced schedule, but I guess (laughs) we'll never see. Well, I don't want to say never, but I guess it'll be a long time until we see one. Right. Um, one more note before we wrap up. So I don't remember if it was mentioned with Perea, but because he played in the U20 World Cups with Colombia official competitions, that's considered being capped. Mm. He would have to file the one-time switch, which Brian um, Shiretta, who writes for American Soccer Now, has been told that at this time he's not planning to do that. So he's just coming into camp to be a body, essentially. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Which, I mean, you know... Sounds very patriotic. Still let's Burhalter get a look at him. <laughs> Sounds very patriotic. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, at, at this time, it does not sound like he is probably going to be in contention to play in that game against El Salvador on uh, Wednesday the 9th. I think the fact that he's being called up is something to note. Yeah. Oh, is, yeah. No. Because, again, if you come into camp and, and you know, Burhalter comes in and says, Hey, kid, I really like you. I want you to play for the national team. Then that could, mm. you know, could force the issue. But I think, I think Perea sees himself more as a Colombian than an American at this point. Yeah, 
As I say, and, and Burhalter loses nothing by bringing him in because, you know, this is a largely an American-based, it's all an American-based squad. You know, the Polisics and the the Kenny, Kenny, God, what's the, can't even get the names. The Weston Kinneys of the world, like, they're not here, so you lose nothing by bringing these guys in. And, you know, it's good for Pereira to, to get some name exposure out there. Mm-hmm. And maybe it also forces Columbia to, you know, maybe sweat a little bit and see what they might be losing. Yeah. Possibly. Indeed. All right, guys. I think we've done quite a bit of damage here today. Just kind of talking about everything. So I think it is about time we call it a day. Is there anything else you want to share and talk about before we wrap it up? Um, I mean, we have, you, you already noted, we have CONCACAF Champions League later this month, late later this month in, in a week or two, two weeks? Yeah. At Explorer Stadium. Yeah. Austin, I think you said you'll know. you'll be there, so... I plan on being there at this You'll point. Be there. It starts oh. on the 15th. So 15 days mm-hmm. from today, and by today being the first. Cool. Um, we have more news that has been reported during this podcast. Oh um, apparently, Montreal is going to rebrand as Montreal FC. No, well, well, no more well. impact. No way. Another, another yeah. FC? Yep. So that's going to make, what, like 20 of the teams in Major League Soccer to be football clubs? Well, let's see. We have Toronto. So hold on. We have Toronto, New York City, uh, Chicago Fire, Atlanta United, Seattle, Minnesota, Dallas, Vancouver, uh, Houston, and now Montreal. Austin. Oh, yeah. Austin, Um, too. Austin and Charlotte. Yeah, you also have uh, another breaking news with the U.S. women's national team in U.S. soccer. They're, they aren't going to go to trial in January because uh, a settlement regarding the unequal working conditions. Uh, they, which means the stage is set for the players is equal pay to equal pay up pay appeal. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever had this much breaking news during this show. This is never. this is this just is chaos. This is this is a stoppage time <laughs> plus penalty kick shootout Orlando soccer show style. I'll- Man. Although at least it's happened during the show and not like right after where we're like, oh, well, man, we just recorded. Gotta, like, we're man, not going to get that the for am- the, the amount of times that I've done my radio show over the past couple years, which is Thursdays from 4 to 5, and then 5 o'clock happens and everything breaks after that has just been way too many that I can count. We're gonna because need- Thursday afternoon, Friday morning slash afternoon is when news seems to break often. So I'm just glad that it's going on during the show and not after. We're going to need... And shout out to Julia for absolutely setting herself up when she said that she was going out to like buy Christmas <laughs> gifts or something. So obviously news was going to break, and then the news broke shortly thereafter. Facts. Oh. Right, we're going to need uh, Brad to step in and be the goalkeeper. We are Rodrigo Schlegel and see if he can <laughs> <laughs> save this podcast from going into more chaos. Oh, man. All right, so December 15th is when the CONCACAF Champions League starts at Exploria Stadium. First games are Montreal FC now against CD Olympia and then Tigres against NYCFC. And then the day after, it's Atlanta and Club America and LAFC and Cruz Azul. Those games are happening at night, 8 o'clock and 10.30. Eastern uh, time? Late nights. Late nights in the Eastern Conference. In the Eastern Conference. In the Eastern time zone. Well, then. Well then, indeed. All right. Um, until uh, until then, uh, and until more roster news drops for Orlando City, we'll call it a day here at the Orlando Soccer Show. Thanks for tuning in, as always. 
And um, for Gavin Eubank and Mike Gramajo, I'm Austin David. We will catch you next time around.